Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Tuesday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Andy, the trade deadline is less than two weeks away. Do the Lakers have anything anybody would want? That, plus Frank Vogel, how much blame does he deserve? Is the media too easy on the guy? We'll talk about all that and more on Locked on Lakers. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to thank everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, Andy, you know how much you pay for Locked On Lakers? Zip. Not a damn thing. That's right. Locked it On Savings right there. <laughs> That's right. And in these belt-tightening times, a free podcast, it goes a long way. So we appreciate all the support uh, with the podcast. You can listen to the entire network for nothing. For free. Yeah. For free. We have been uh, covering this team for a long time. And uh, unfortunately, we have seen um, some of their their leaner years. Um, but Thankfully, is... we're not there yet. We no, are not no, there yet. No. We've seen worse. Oh, no, no. We've seen much worse, but a lot of those years were supposed to be lean. Uh, this one was not. But no, no. aside from You were the... told Carlos Boozer was going to carry him, Brian. <laughs> that was such a stupid idea. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, man. I bet this summer. We should just do a summertime podcast where we go back and revisit the stupidity of Carlos Boozer. Not the person, I, but the concept. I heard, I heard directly from somebody that Jim Buss was furious, and I mean furious furious about comments that I made on 710 ESPN saying that Carlos Boozer was the dumbest signing that I could recall the Lakers making in my lifetime of being a fan of that team or covering that team or both. He was yeah, furious. So that's, Brian. that's something to look forward to as we uh, perhaps get quicker into the offseason than we would like. Um, but all right. So you know, but not, I would argue that not since the it's going to be fun Sports Illustrated Dwight Howard Steve Nash cover has anything gone this, this wrong this uh, quickly. Cause even last year, Andy, um, things were fine until they weren't. I mean, this mm -hmm. was a good team last year until it wasn't. Um, but this year, the Lakers, you know, obviously three games under 500. We talked about it on Monday's show. They are a full five games now out of the sixth spot. It is pretty much, you know, we, we're talking about can you get to the seven? Can you get to the eight? So that at the very least, you don't have to win twice to make the real playoffs. Um, one of the ways that the Lakers could theoretically get there is by improving at the trade deadline. Um the only things they have really available to them to trade, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, a first-round pick, the flotsam and jetsam of one-year contracts that they have to balance things out. And Russell Westbrook. And <laughs> Don't forget, Brian, blockbuster trade the Lakers could help orchestrate. Let's leave all options on the table. Do you think they've offered Russell Westbrook for Buddy Heald? <laughs> Maybe that's an option. We did see the report. This was fantastic. So let's do as we talk about Taylor Horton Tucker and uh, the options for the Lakers to trade him. Uh, the report, I think it was last week, surfaced that the Lakers offered uh, Taylor Horton Tucker to the Kings. This for was uh, Chris Haynes from Chris Yahoo, Haynes. I believe, was talking about this on his podcast 
um, with Amin Al Hassan was on as a guest with him. And they floated like, you know, the Lakers called up the Kings again to be like, hey, how about THT for Buddy Heald? Which is like, <laughs> I mean, I realize we're talking about the Kings and there's generally a, a belief that the Kings will do stupid things because they're the Kings. But that is really insulting <laughs> to come back with THT for Buddy Heald after pulling the rug out on the summertime deal where they were going to get something better for Buddy Heald uh, than what they than what they were currently offering. Well, here's the thing, though, Brian. If if you're the Kings and Rob Polinka, <clears throat> excuse me, says to them, "Look, guys, I know what ended up happening last time, last minute bailout with the Buddy Heald conversations, and you know we apologize for that. We we understand where you guys felt, you know, absolutely just blindsided by that. We promise you, it will not happen again." <laughs> And it's believable yeah. that the Lakers aren't going to do that because there are no more moves. Where else are they going to go, man? First yes is the deal. <laughs> this is so insulting. I, we're really sorry we did this to you, but let us make it up to you by offering you something worse than what we did the first we time. We can argue all day about who screwed over who. Right. But I mean, where's that going to get us? Monty, Rob here. Let me open with a passage from The Alchemist before we start. <laughs> the one where the alchemist apologizes profusely. Um, but but the, this gets to, uh, as they would say, the nut of the problem here for the Lakers. Um, how much appeal does THT have around the league? Has he hurt himself? Has he helped himself? Has he been relatively neutral for a 20-year-old? Okay, but this is divorced from the idea of has he helped the Lakers in the way that they might need him in terms of winning games this year. But like, if you if you had to guess his perception around the league, do you think people think more of THT, less of THT? Is he more tradable, less tradable than he was at the beginning of the year? I mean, it, it is hard, I think, to divorce the context of what has THT done, period, in terms of his development versus what has he done with the Lakers, only in the sense that the Lakers are such an incredibly high-profile team that mm -hmm. everybody pays attention to. We know that a lot of the leagues, I mean, a lot of the execs around the league view the Lakers often with schadenfreude or emotion attached to it or whatever, but it's not necessarily like just another developing player on Team X across the league. You know, I think if you also are, too, because the Lakers have so few of those guys, like the right. focus can be you know, Orlando has 11 of them. The Lakers have one. Right. Um, I, I think if nothing else, because it, it does seem like generally speaking, the, the view, the view of THT has definitely soured. I wouldn't say that he's untradeable or anything like that, or that nobody thinks he could be good down the line, but in terms of developmental progress, it would be. I think impossible to argue that this season has helped. So if nothing else, I think THT has hurt his value around the league in terms of if you're a team that is actually looking to contend, like you're looking to add a piece that could help make you better for a playoff run. I don't know how much THT has helped along those lines. So you've, if nothing else, cut down your options. Do I think he could still be Appealing, but to he probably, in, in fairness, he probably wasn't going to one of those teams. Well, no, you know, if he played, if he played well, he sure could have. He absolutely could have if he played well. 
like because that that well, was but I mean, he, but that, I, mean, I guess that's true. But like that's what he was supposed to have been for this the season. for the Lakers, right? The Lakers could have just been trading him for a different type of player that they need more mm-hmm. than THT. So he absolutely could have looked like that guy this season. Now I think he just potentially looks more appealing to either a team that's in pure development mode, or I suppose a team that thinks the Lakers are totally misusing him or misslotting him and feel like, look, he was an with a bigger building. opportunity with a yeah. bigger role, different this, different that, yeah. whatever, different surroundings. But I don't think he's helped. All right. Let me let's let's do this because I think what you're talking about there too with a developmental team brings its own problems. And I think that's related to the nature of THT as a prospect, whether you still think, you know, even if you still think he is, you know, has a lot of potential at age 20, he's only 20, 21 to still be 21, right. To be, to still be a really good, high quality NBA player, moving him this year brings its own problems. Uh, We'll talk about that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by TurboTax. People think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax live experts, that's what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you're invested in crypto for the first time ever this year, own an up-and-coming small business, or you're just raising rambunctious twins, presumably adorable ones, because those are the only type of twins that exist. Unless, as you like to point out, Brian, they are adult twins. I don't like case, them. <laughs> they're creepy. But I don't for the like time adult being, twins. They're creepy, particularly old people twins are <laughs> right. even creepier but for the time being we're talking about small children and right. but there are no of- but you're not a write-off anymore when you're an old person twin well one hopes <laughs> <laughs> but anyway luckily TurboTax live has experts who can answer all those tax questions walk you through the whole process and do your taxes for you from start to finish they help you with every deduction you deserve no matter your unique situation and you can talk to a TurboTax live expert through your phone or computer without ever leaving your house. TurboTax live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you find an extra, if you need an extra hand, hand off your taxes to them and they'll do it all for you. TurboTax live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes. Into it, TurboTax live. This episode of Locked on Lakers is also brought to you by Rock Auto. Andy, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. And so why endure pointless, sometimes even intimidating questioning? Is your hot is your Honda Odyssey an LX or an EX? Like they're really like aggressive in like trying to figure out what letters go with your car. Uh, and, and you got to wait behind, you know, while the person behind the counter orders parts on their computer, and they might be only choosing the brand that they're trying to like clear out of their warehouse because that's what they have. It's not necessarily the part that you want or the brand that you need. Uh, but you know what, Andy, you have a computer in your pocket. It's called a phone. And with that, you have access to rockauto.com. You can use your home computer too. Uh, you go to rockauto.com and you save time and you save money when you're doing that. And why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, Andy, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump, $353 from a chain store. It's $216 at rockauto.com. And it's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers like you, Andy, like me, for over 20 years. We get together every weekend. We just tinker with our cars. It's what we do. <laughs> yes. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So here's the thing about THD that I was thinking about today. I still believe other people disagree. There are there is a crowd of people for whom THT sucks. 
And that's it. I mean, for those people, all of this is a moot point. Why would anybody want THD? Nobody will trade for him. If you are in the, the group that thinks he could still be a good NBA player, and I think that's a lot of people, the problem is we have our own THT here in LA, but pretty much every team has a THT in one form or another. A, a, a young player that probably isn't going to be a star, not Anthony Edwards, it's not you know Jalen Suggs or someone that you draft to be a star, something like that. Um, somewhere in that sort of in-between area where you think they could be a good player, but probably not a star, has a lot of potential, young guy, um, and you don't know what they are yet. Almost every team has one of those guys. And so is our THT better than their THT? How many of their, of, of those THTs does an individual team want? Detroit, to use the Jeremy Grant example, um, has like 11 THTs. <laughs> um, you know, they have Sadiq Bey and they have, you know, Cade Cunningham is more in that superstar standpoint, but they've got Isaiah Stewart and they've got, you know, Hamadou Diallo and they've got a bunch of guys who are in that, you know, I wonder what they could be when they grow up kind of range of player. Um, you know, Indiana's got a couple of those dudes. Portland's got a couple of those dudes and Nasir Little and, and other players like that. And so it's not so much that I think THT sucks because I don't. I think he's been disappointing. I would agree with that. Um, but it's that I don't know if he's special compared to the same type of projects that other teams have, the same type of young prospects that other teams have. Well, I mean, what, what's interesting about this and something you always have to remember is, you know, as you know, whether you're talking about a fan base or whether you're talking about people who actually are inside the building working for the team, you see everything about these young players, mm -hmm. which is great and can also uh, magnify things that make it seem worse than they actually are. You know, it's like the time I talked about when you and I first started covering the Lakers. It was the 2006 season. The first season, Phil came back, the first of the Kwame Smush years. And that was the year of 81 where Kobe ripped off those string of 50-point games. And the, he averaged 35 points a game, I think. And that year for the LA Times, when we were covering the team, we both wrote our fake MVP columns because neither one of us had an actual vote. But that year, I, I don't remember who I had as my winner. I had Kobe as second. And the reasons don't even matter. But I know that one of them was just broadly, I saw more of Kobe's flaws that every player, even great players, have. Because I saw them on a regular basis. And what I came to realize over time in rethinking that, especially when you really got some time and distance from that season, you're like, holy crap, he was amazing, is it can lead you to overthinking it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is Kobe should have won MVP in 2006. And I think everybody that year, for a variety of different reasons, including where Kobe was at that point in his career perception-wise, just overthought it. Well, plus you were a hater. Well, of course, obviously. <laughs> but I, I think stuff like that can can play a role in our, you know, sort of the local perception of THT versus other guys around the league who are young, developmentally uh, in that place in their career, and look you know, they look like they're on a brighter trajectory. 
Well, because you don't it, see, you don't see it right. all on a daily basis. And you know, like I, when we were talking about before the show, and I'm sort of, I, I went kind of very quickly through other rosters, and I was trying trying to think of like comps. Like, who do you look at it? And I, I didn't want to get bogged down in like this guy was a first round pick or this. You can kind of tell when a player is drafted to be a star, um, where they're drafted, how they're drafted, whatever. You know, and certain guys, you know, Nasir Little in Portland started to come on just, you know, is out for the season now with a shoulder injury. And you see guys like that, like half the roster in Oklahoma City sort of qualifies for this. And in Portland, I know I've you know read a little bit like there are people who nitpick all the time on on what Nasir Little has done, for example, over there. I look at it kind of 30,000 feet and I see his numbers and I picked him up for my fantasy league and I'm thinking it could be a good keeper. Like, I mean, I look at it encouraged, but because you're right, you see THT every day. The, it's a fine line, though, between diagnosing, like sort of overthinking it and, and, and what you're doing and uh, kind of being overly critical because you're exposed to something, but also maybe even ignoring. Like, for example, earlier in the NBA season before things were clearly off the rails for the Lakers. We, we would say, you know, like, Hey, things are not going well for the Lakers right now, but it's very easy to ignore that. It's not perfect for anyone else right now either. Um, and it's easy as a fan, particularly to look at your team and say, it's horrible now. And it's great everywhere else and ignore that it's not. Um, but you can kind of take that to the the place too, where you start to either overvalue your own guys or look past their flaws because you just assume the same thing is happening somewhere else and not objectively say, you know what? That player is better than our THT. They have two guys who might be better than our THT as well, good as, I, we, as much as we might like our guy. The, the part about overvaluing Brian, I think is really interesting. That's a great point. Um, you know, for example, like, with Jeremy Grant, because the he's been linked to the Lakers, been linked to a lot of different teams, and right. that by, that trade, by the way, looks like it's dead on a few levels. A because Detroit may not want THT, but also because Jeremy Grant doesn't really want to play the role on the Lakers that he would were he to be traded here with you know right. contract hey, extension. But Brian, you mentioned the idea of overvaluing your own player and the idea of you know getting too attached to him by all that exposure. The biggest problem for the Lakers and THT right now isn't even so much that he is not where they want him to be developmentally this season. It's that they constructed the roster in a way that it was necessary for him to be where they need him to be. And he's not there right now. They constructed a roster in a way that THT had to play a, an important role in the rotation. Like he had to be one of their top end guys and this season, the only reason he would be one of the top-end guys is because everybody else below him disappointed more than him. But it's not because he like earned it that way or performed in such a way that you're like, all right, th this guy's been really good this year. He, he has been all over the place. And under normal circumstances, you would say, okay, he's 21 years old. He's a third-year player, but he's really inexperienced at this stage of his career. That's fine. It's what you'd expect. The problem is with roster construction, with ultimately choosing him over Alex Caruso from a money standpoint, they needed THT to be rock solid this year. Right. And he just isn't. 
And it's that's it's, the it's, issue. It's a problem both in terms of how the team has performed this year, but it also impacts the perception of THT. Like he, he could a, very well by the end of this deal. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but sure. just he could be absolutely what you thought he would be when you signed into that deal. That just doesn't help you now, right? It doesn't it? And I'm saying it doesn't help you for the the wins and losses this year, which they needed THD to be a big part of. But in in disappointing in that respect, like you say, in that construction, it also helps feed the perception that he's not very good, um, and that hurts his trade value. So, um, I mean, I think the ideal was, and we'll we'll stop here and we'll get to the uh, you know the the Frank Vogel question. We got some reader comments that we want to uh, that we want to engage in. Um, Listener comments, I should say, reader. You know, old old habits die hard. Um, you know, the, the 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 perfect world construction of this was that THD would have played too well to trade, mm-hmm. and that he was too much of a value at nine million dollars to trade him for anybody else, unless yeah. you just get a star player in return. And that obviously uh, hasn't happened. So uh, uh, let's we're going to have a lot of time between now and February tenth to talk about the trade deadline, and I'm sure we will. Uh, but next, Andy, let's get to some listener comments. Got some really interesting ones on the Locked on Lakers YouTube channel about Frank Vogel, and we will do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Bet Online. There may be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more odds and info for this playoff season. From scores, totals, player performances, props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the games start. Okay, so if you go to uh, Locked on Lakers on YouTube, uh, pretty vibrant little community that's that's uh, developing around there. We appreciate everybody uh, engaging with us on that channel. We try to be as responsive as we can, Andy, uh, there as well, respond to comments, questions, and all that that are directed to us. Um, got a couple interesting ones about Frank Vogel. I'll start with this one from, from TK. Uh, can you guys do a deeper dive on Vogel? It seems like the media deals uh, with him in kid gloves. Uh, while fans usually blame him, media will mention him sometimes, but always qualify with an injury excuse or something. Last year's team was much deeper, even with AD hurt, but we still managed to be in the play-in. I think Frank is not a good coach and it does not maximize role players and takes too long to do the obvious, i.e. benching DJ sooner, not playing Russ with Rondo, uh, take Avery Bradley out of the starting unit, all of which happened during the soft part of the schedule. Um, so let's the, the kind of the 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 meat of this question is the idea that fans really tend to blame Frank Vogel a lot, and the idea that media is uh, is too soft. On yeah, we Vogel. we got a question like that from Gabe Woodard and other people across uh, the chat in in Monday's show. So th- mm-hmm. this is something that is clearly percolating among Laker fans. Let's let's so let's look at like like I think it's definitely clear like anti Frank sentiment is certainly growing uh, among Lakers fans on Lakers Twitter on our channel and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the flip side is fans generally will kind of look for people to blame. They'll blame the coach. They'll be just, they get angry because that's the nature of being a fan. How, how true do you think that is though? Do you think we are as a media? And I, I don't like using that term because the media, it makes it sound like the media is not one entity. There's no the media, um, but generally yeah, but speaking, we all get together, Brian, right? <laughs> it's a big zoom call. Yep. Um, 
do do you think that people sort of are yeah the, the the professional media is a little softer on Frank or at the very least let's just look at it from our perspective how much blame do you put on Vogel because I know my perspective on on this issue could be seen as soft quote unquote on Frank but that's mostly because of how I look at NBA rosters but I'll let you go first I mean I think the circumstances of this season can't be ignored I mean it, the situation for Vogel has been legitimately difficult because even in the best of circumstances, he was given a roster that works in the total opposite of his strengths. And I can tell you, he is very respected around the league mm-hmm. as a defensive coach. This is not just Brian, in my opinion. He is also viewed as somebody who is not particularly offensively gifted, offensively created and creative, and those are the weaknesses. What I have been, though, wondering lately about Vogel, and and these questions in particular started getting me uh, thinking about it, is just does Vogel maximize who he has? And does he have the creativity um, to maximize and the flexibility to maximize who he has? Because like the example that was given to us, if you look at the Clippers with Ty Lue, Ty Lue has proven, not just with the Clippers, but I think with the Cavaliers and in general, that he is a coach that can get the absolute most out of who he has there. And he can make a period without, with injuries and guys unavailable work. Or if you look at somebody like Eric Spolster, who might be the best at this in the league, Eric Spolster has been taking dudes like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and making the heat work despite a lot of guys in and out. You know, Popovich for a period was you know phenomenal at it. Or Rick Carlisle until this season. I think has been very good at it. None of that means that Vogel is a bad coach, but I think that those are the type of things that separate like the truly elite coaches in the league from the guys who may be anywhere from bad to merely good. And if nothing else, I don't think this period has really proven that Frank Vogel can rise above circumstances. And I think that would be a fair criticism of him. I I think there's a, there's a lot in there I would agree with. Um, and you know, broadly, I don't think Frank Vogel is an elite coach in the NBA. You know, among the, you know, there are what 30, 30 teams. You know, if you want to call the elite the top ten percent, so you know, the three, four, five best coaches in the league. No, I don't. I would not put Frank Vogel in that group. Um, do I, th- I certainly think he's in the in the upper half. I think he's a, you know a, a, a very good NBA coach who uh, has worked under difficult circumstances. <laughs> for me, I you know I, I think it it is it is easy to sort of talk about the con- the idea of is he maximizing uh, the roster? I would say no. I would say very few coaches do. Um, I also think this is a very difficult roster to maximize, and the circumstances. You know, it, it is. It, I am I am less inclined to come down hard on the coach when all of the options really are bad. And you're basically dinging somebody for picking, not picking the least bad option or the option that you think is least bad. Um, or that, uh, I mean, I think this is a, a common thing that that fans often do sometimes, analysts do, media does, is assuming that if you just do A, B, C, D, E, and F will happen. And that, that you know, you know, replacing Avery Bradley with, you know, uh, 
Austin Reeves in the starting lineup, which is something I would do. Uh, be happy to see them do it. That might not work. You know, <laughs> I would like to see them try it. Sure. But it would might, but like just the, there's sort of always the assumption that if he would just do this, it would work. And the reason that I think I am more. But it doesn't change the fact that he ought to do it. I agree. Uh, like I, there are certain things that I have defended him with. I think even earlier in the year when he played DeAndre Jordan, I wish they that they hadn't. There were circumstances around with that. They didn't have any tall people that were available to play, particularly when LeBron was hurt. Like they just didn't have a lot of options. When you're missing AD for a stretch of time, you're missing LeBron. Like you can't, and you have Trevor Ariza isn't there. Like you don't have any other forwards. It's like your your hands are tied. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. But just fundamentally, with, with the NBA, it is a talent league. First and foremost, it is a talent league. There are certain guys who can squeeze everything out of a system, everything out of a an ethos and a uh, you know the way Miami does it, you know the Miami way and all that. Kind of, there are certain guys who can squeeze all of that stuff out of it. Most teams, though, are beholden to the talent that they have, and that includes the Lakers. And the Lakers assembled a deeply flawed roster. And the best players that they have have been in and out of the lineup all year. And ultimately, I think it is on the way the team was put together that explains what's happened this year much more than the coaching. I think if you changed coaches 10 times on this team, go back to the beginning of the season, have 10 different coaches play this season out 10 different times, I think eight of them, at the very least, you're going to get something very similar to what we've seen here because ultimately I think it is on the talent, it is on the roster assembly as opposed to something like the NFL where the coach is calling the plays more frequently. I'm not saying Frank Vogel doesn't bear any responsibility. Well, okay, here's the question. I'm I would just ask saying you. that I don't put as much of it, and fans can disagree with me, listeners can disagree with me, or whatever. But that that is why, if it seems like I'm soft on Frank, that would be why, because okay. I just fundamentally don't put him at the front of the line. Let Let me ask you this, and I I wouldn't necessarily put Vogel at the front of the line either. I think I would have him further towards the head of the line. He has a you. larger piece of the blame pie in your blame pie than right. he does in mine. But That's it fair. is not but it is not as big a piece as other folks, certainly like Rob Belinka, Jeannie Buss, LeBron in terms of roster construction, AD, because I feel very comfortable saying this is not the roster Frank Vogel would have built. It is though the roster that he has to work with. <laughs> and when you yep. mentioned before like the idea if you gave 10 other coaches 10 different cracks at this season, you don't think it would turn out that much different. That may be the case. Do you think, though, and this is and this will be the last question I had for you on this, but I think this could get to a lot of fan dissatisfaction. Even if the results were the same, do you think those different coaches might have approached the problem in different ways where the process could feel like it makes more sense, even if the results are more or less the same? You could look at what they're doing and say, all right, I get it. Okay. I think you might see people doing it differently, but because the results still wouldn't be very good, I think people would then look at those actions. Okay. Do you and think say, you would look at it? What differently? the hell are you doing? Fine. Do you think you 
would look at it differently if the process were different? I, I mean, I, there are probably certain, you know, would he be playing Avery Bradley as much? No. I mean, like, would somebody, but I, broadly speaking, I think if I would look at it and if the results were essentially the same, we were within a couple games either way of where they are now because all the other stuff, LeBron's still out, there's still COVID, there's still, you know, whatever, um, you know, you don't get the benefit of guys being healthy when they weren't for Frank. I think, no, I don't think I would okay. look at it much differently because I think ultimately the results would be very similar and people would be grasping at straws because they're really upset by the results. Okay. Um, and rightly so, because it's been a really disappointing year. That may be the case, but I will say that I think from a fan's perspective, it's one thing to lose games. It's another thing to lose games with a methodology that you feel like is putting you in position to lose the game in the first place Maybe. or a yeah. be, or a better odds position right. to lose it in the first and, place. And some people want to see That's more all. experimentation and some people want to see more trying this and that. And, 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 and you know, but then there are people who be like, well, pick a freaking lineup, man. Like, you know, mm -hmm. sure. When things are way below what you expect them to be, nothing looks good. Nope. And, and, you know, it is a results-based driven business and I, and, you know, Frank's going to lose his job and I, I'm not even that I'm not, uh, I'm not upset by it. Um, in the sense that, you know, they're going to need to change coaches. They cannot do this again next year and they can't go into next year, giving them another one year extension. It's just not going to work. Frank Vogel. I have said it before. I, you know, I, I would be very surprised if he is the head coach of the Lakers next year. Um, and that's fine. I don't think it's not unfair. It's not ridiculous. It's not, it's not none of those things. Um, but that doesn't mean I think that the season's his fault or like even close to it. That's fair. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating conversation because it really gets to what you think the value of the head coaches in the NBA now. And I'm telling you, I think part of the reason we're here is because Rob Palinka and the Lakers think the value is not very high. That um, I agree with. And one, you know, because they were unwilling to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, Otherwise, Ty Lue would be the head coach of the Lakers. I was just about to say that. And he, frankly, no disrespect to Vogel, should have been the coach of this team yep. because Ty Lue is a better coach than Frank Vogel. And so when they can, Frank, uh, in the offseason, the process of bringing in the next guy is going to be fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be here for it, <laughs> but you know, look, Hey, they make a run in the playoffs, uh, and all, you know, all of a sudden the conversation changes, but if things are on the same trajectory, he's not going to, he's not going to be back. Um, all right. Uh, lock on Lakers on YouTube. Thanks again for making us your first listen of every day. Uh, we will be back Wednesday for more lock on Lakers excitement. See everybody next time.